Amen. Thank you for that wonderful music today. What a blessing it is to be in the house of God. Are you glad you're here today? Boy, I'm glad that I'm here today as well. It's a great day. What makes us tick? What makes us tick? There was sitting in the living room in my wife's aunt's house in Oxford, Georgia, some years ago. She's passed away now. But sitting there in the corner of that room was a grandfather clock. You've seen those. It's a beautiful piece of furniture. And uh, it's not plugged into an electrical outlet like the alarm clock that sits by, by my bed is. But uh, inside that clock, there was a set of weights and chains and gears. And, and uh, you'd put those chains over those gears. And this weight here would, would pull against those gears. And, and it would make everything operate in there. Uh, so that we could look at the face of the clock and tell what time it was. Uh, and those things working together properly would always give us an accurate time of day. And so we, we like that. But it took all those pieces working together to make that clock what it ought to be so that it wasn't just another piece of pretty furniture sitting somewhere in someone's home. And... Uh, so we ask the question, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us as Christians, as individuals? What does that have to do with us as a church, a group of individuals who make up the family of God, the people of God here on this earth? What does that have to do with this place that we often refer to as the church? We're going down to the church and we think about the building and, and I have no, no argument with that because it is a, a great place. But God has not designed us as His people, as individual Christians, He's not designed us just to be another pretty face in a sea of people on the earth. He has a purpose for us. He has something He wants us to do. And when He puts His church together, He's not designed us just to be a group of people in a sea of faces here on earth. Uh, he wants us to have a plan and purpose for what we do in this life, this building, as it sits here, is not just designed to be another pretty piece of architecture on planet Earth. It has a reason. It has a plan. God has a purpose for it. What happens when we do not fulfill our purpose? What happens to us as individuals, as children of God, as Christians, when we're not fulfilling what God has called us to do here on Earth? People around us are not going to see what it means to be a child of God. People around us are not going to see what it means to be born again, saved from sin, have that promise of eternal life. Folks won't know what that means if we're not fulfilling our purpose. The same is true for us as a church. We gather together. We serve the Lord together. We go out of here to represent Christ. That's what our purpose is in this building. Soon we'll begin to lose its purpose as well. I read an article some three or four years ago. I don't remember exactly how long now. A friend of mine gave it to me uh, when I was pastor over at Fellowship. And uh, in that article, there was about churches who were closing in Great Britain, in England. And uh, those churches, some of them had been turned into uh, clothing stores. Uh, one had been turned into a skate park. Uh, for skateboarding. One had been turned into a bar and where alcoholic beverages were served and, 
And so just what was happening in the United Kingdom at Great Britain about those churches, I think uh, about us here in America. What can happen to some of our churches? I remember churches going uh, out of business. They're closed. They're sit down. One church uh, went out of business and their comment was this, we forgot what our business was. And that can be true. Oftentimes a church building may close and it may turn into something else because they have outgrown what they, uh, the place where they want met. And uh, that's a good thing. I know right down Thomasville Road, there's a place down there. You can see it still looks like a church, but it's not Thomasville Road Baptist Church anymore. They moved right out a little bit further and built what is now Thomasville Road Baptist Church. And it's a much larger, larger facility. And so those kinds of things happen as well. But what makes an effective church tick? What makes an effective Christian tick? Let's look at our passage today in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. You're familiar with it, but let's read it and kind of unpack it a little bit today and see in here what it is that makes us who we are, that separates us from everything else, every other, uh, and I'll use this in quotations, religious group on planet earth. Let's look at that uh, quickly together. Let's just read it. Beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an amazing passage of scripture. What is it that makes us tick? First of all, it is the Christ who changes us. The Christ who has changed us. Look at that first part of the text again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Consider this Christ. We are in Christ. In Christ. United with Christ by grace through faith. The grace of God given to us, our faith, our faith, our trust in Jesus to be our Savior and Lord. We realize he is the virgin born one who committed no sin and took our sin. He became sin for us so that he might take that, that payment for sin, which is death, eternal death. He might die in our place so that our sin may be forgiven and we can have a right relationship with God. That's what it means to be reconciled to God so that we can have that relationship. He rose again from the dead to give us that new life in Christ so that we could experience that right now. And when we trust in him, then we are now in Christ. And so we are born again, children of God in Christ. The result of that is that we are now a new creature, literally a new creation. There's something different. Kaine is the Greek word. It means made fresh, new, recently made. A new creature, the word katesis in Greek. And what it means is this, Greek lexicon, uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon says it's a new formation, an original formation. The thing created 
It's from a verb which means to fabricate. It's something we're going to put together. It's something made new. And uh, from the root word of this, it says that it, it, talking about the new creation, it says this, previously non-existent. Previously non-existent. It goes on to say they're far different than what they once were. And so how do we put those two things together? If it's previously non-existent, and yet they're far different than what they were, what is he saying to us? What he's saying is when I make you a new creature, you are already a live, living, breathing organism walking around on the face of the earth. Yes, you were there. But you were not a born-again child of God. You were not in Christ. You were living to your own dictates. You were going your own direction. You had your own desires. You had your own goals. You had your own plans for life. But when you realized that in your life, left to yourself, you are a creature that is in sin. You're separated from God. Your sin has separated you from God. That's what, that's what makes you eternally dying and eternally dead from now on. And when you realize that you need some help from that, you're going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell, fire that burns forever. You don't want that. And you realize that God has done something for you. And you say, what is it he has done? And you know that Jesus came, died for your sin so that you could be saved. And you realize this is what I need. And so you say, Lord, forgive me of my sin that put you on the cross and he comes inside. Then even though you've been that living organism going around, he does something brand new inside of you. And previously, that born again child of God that you become was non-existent. You were not there. Now you are brand new in the Lord. You're not the same as what you were. Any man be in Christ, any person, be in Christ, trusting Him, you're made new from the inside. I remember sharing with you about my experience. Whenever, the, whenever Christ came inside of me, it made me different. I said, Lord, it's not about me anymore. It's not my life. It's yours. Lord, if I don't live to walk out of this chapel on this ship, it's okay. I want to know you. And for the first time in my life, when someone else took God's name in vain. It bothered me. Whereas before I could do that, didn't even think about it. Just part of, part of life. But what was the difference? The difference was this organism that was walking around was not the same. He was far different than he was before. Why? Because there was a newness. There was a creation. There was something had happened inside of me that never had been before. And I became a born again child of God through faith in Christ. I was in Christ. Do you know that you're in Christ? What makes us tick? It is the Christ who changes. Only God can make a new creature. Before we lived our own dictates, our own thoughts, our own plans, our own purpose. But when he came in, he made us new. We realized we needed him. And that person is not the same anymore. We're a new creature we're a new creature. And it says old things have passed away. The old desires, the old passions, all those things begin to change. It's not the same as it was. And he says new things have come. Now he's given us a new desire, new passions, new goals in life. To live more like Christ would have us to be. Old things have passed away. New things have come. History is filled 
filled with stories of people and records of people who have trusted in Jesus and become new creatures. You remember those from uh, New Testament days when Saul the persecutor became Paul the preacher and the missionary and began to share the good news of Christ all around. You remember the story of John Newton. John Newton, who was a slave trader, when he became a born-again child of God, and he wrote that great song, Brother Larry, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. What an amazing song. What an amazing thing. That's what God does. The Christ who changes us. That's what makes us tick. Do you know that you know him today? If so, thank God for that. But there's another thing that we want to see in this passage. Not only the Christ who changes, but the message that I believe motivates us. The message that says, boy, I have something to share. I have something now to live for. I have a purpose. My purpose as a child of God, our purpose as a church, the purpose for this building standing here in this place is to help folks know that there is a message that can change our lives. Look at this part of the text, beginning in verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. What is this message that motivates us? It is the message that salvation from sin is, first of all, Christ-centered. Christ-centered. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. All these things from God who, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. It's, so it's Christ-centered. It's, it's all about him, and it's God-initiated. In verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's an amazing thing. It's not a message derived from the rantings and ramblings of some group of religionists here on the planet. Uh, there are all kind of religionists out there who can tell you all kind of stories. But this is not something that is man-made. This is something, <coughs> excuse me, this is something that God did when he came to us and said, now, this is not a story that you make up this is a story that I have made up and that I put into place and I activate and I keep it going in you. It's the grace of God. God's grace coming to us and through faith when we trust in Him, then we realize that God has done this. It's not something I did for myself. I can't buy my way into heaven. I can't work my way into heaven. I can't teach Sunday school enough to get to heaven. I can't preach enough sermons to get to heaven. I can't sing enough songs to get to heaven. I can't do it. God has done it. And he has done it for me. God initiated, not based on our abilities, but on God's grace alone. Not what we can do to get to him, but it's what he has done in coming to us. God has done this, not by works, but by grace. You know this passage well, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Well, look at me. Boy, I'm a child of God. Look at me, I'm a missionary. Look at me, I'm a preacher. 
Look at me, I teach Sunday school. Look at me, I can, I can lead music. Look at me, I can, I can play an instrument. No, it's not about that. It's about who he is. Lord, thank you for what you've done and what you've given me to do. You have done this. It's not my works. It's what you've done. And I praise God for that. This message is different from every other religion, if you want to call it that, on planet earth. Christianity in its very essence is not a religion. A religion, I know the word religion is in the New Testament when he says this is pure religion and undefiled is to go and help the widows and the fatherless and and those people. And and that's what we do. We do it religiously. That means we do it regularly. That means we keep on doing this because it's a ministry from God that we can do. And so we meet religiously so that we can learn and grow and share together in Sunday school and be challenged in the Word of God and and worship God together in the preaching, in the Sunday school, in the singing, in the living of life. We do those things religiously and we keep it going. We pray religiously because that's something we do and we want to do. Someone said the other day we were reading in our uh, uh, morning devotion and the, the devotion was about prayer being hard work. And it says it's hard work. Sometimes you get so involved in things you say, I don't have time to pray. I mean, we don't have time not to pray. But we do those things. And it's religiously. But Christianity in its essence is not a religion. It is a relationship with a living God through Christ. A relationship with the Lord. And when, when we have that relationship, we're made new creatures, we have new desires in life, boy, it changes what you do with your life. And he says, now then, here's the deal. I've done this for you. You see what it means to you. You see what it means. It's eternal life. You see what it means to have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And did you know that there are folks around who don't have that? But I've called you to go share that. And if you'll go share that like someone shared it with you, they can now know what you have. The message motivates us so that we can go and tell others the same thing that we've enjoyed and that we've experienced and that we now enjoy. It's proclaimed, it's preached in Jesus' name, this message is. It's not mine, it's His. Not our name, not our name, it's His name. And Lord, thank you for what you've done. Ambassadors, agents, representatives, that's who we are. Part of my prayer life, the Lord put on me here a few years ago, I guess, and I've started praying this way, is Lord, today, help me to represent Jesus well in what I do. And if we go through the day saying, Lord, it's not about me, but I want to represent you well today, I can promise you, That'll motivate you a little different way. That'll motivate you a little bit in a different kind of way. When we go out into this world with a message of Jesus who came to save sinners from sin and eternal damnation, we can know that anyone who trusts and believes as we did will be saved and they'll have eternal life. That's good news in a world full of bad news. And it can happen anywhere. We saw some things happening this week having lunch together, how God gives opportunities to just share and minister in His name. Wow. It can happen any day, wherever you are. We need to be praying and saying, oh God, will you, will you touch those who are lost? There are lost people that you can pray for by name every day that you know. And then you can say, oh God, will you, will you make me alert today 
alert as I have opportunity, and you place it on my heart to say something for the Lord, to just give a word of testimony, to give a word of, of witness for Christ today. Watch it. He'll open doors. He'll start giving you opportunities. And you say, man, this is great. I'm excited about that. I remember uh, some folks who were really afraid. No, I, I can't do this. I can't talk. I don't know what to say. Sound kind of like Moses at the burning bush. You know, Lord, I, don't, I can't talk. I can't talk. Who created your tongue? God said. Who created us? We can do it. We're scared of it. And I remember folks being a little bit apprehensive. They said, I don't, I don't quite know what to do. But when they took the step and began to, to open up and to share a little bit, and they saw that first person that they personally had influence on, and, and that person came to know Christ as Savior, and they got saved, their eyes got opened, and, and now they can't get enough of it. They want to just keep doing that. That's the way that goes. That's the way that goes. What a blessing that is. The good news is the gospel of Christ, and it motivates us. But then there's a third thing. Christ who changes, the message that motivates us, and the lifestyle, I love this, the lifestyle that liberates us, that liberates us, sets us free to be children of God. What do you mean, preacher? Look at verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you see that? He made him who knew no sin to be sin. Jesus, when we think of him as the, as the virgin-born son of God and the one who walked the earth and loved people and, and shared with them and, and touched and healed and, and gave sight to blinded eyes and, and took children on his knee and loved them, we think of him as being sin, separated from God? That blows our mind. But we have to look at it from the biblical perspective. And, and this is what God is saying to us. He made him to be sin. He took all of the ugliness that is that which separates us from God. He took it in himself. I believe that's what he looked at in the cup. When he said, oh, Father, if it can be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He saw our sin, mine and yours. And he said, I have to be that? And then he said, not my will, yours. So that these who are this sin that separates from God, this sin that is anti-God, this sin that is, that, is, that is against the Lord. Well, I'm not against God. If you're not for me, you're against me, Jesus said. If we're not with you, we're enemies against you. Take all of that ugliness of, that we are and become that and then die with it so that you and I can be free. Free from what? Free from the sin that, that separates us from God. Free to live in Christ. Free to know the truth of God. Free to understand what life really is all about and free to live in that. Does it mean we'll be free from sickness? Never get sick? No, that's not the case. Does it mean that we'll be free and never, never have a, you know, a, a broken limb or something like that? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that we'll never have an argument with someone else on this planet? No, it doesn't mean that. 
Does it mean that we'll be, we'll be free from, from any kind of, 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 of confusion? And, and No, it doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that, Lord, when I can't understand what all's going around, I'm free to know you and that you will take care of me and you'll take me through this life. And I'm free from worrying about all that stuff. I'm free from having to be concerned about all that stuff. And, Lord, I'm just going to trust you today and go with you. Help me to represent you well. He made him to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Righteousness, right with God, right with ourselves, right with each other, right with this world. Focus is righteousness. Look at the contrast between us and Jesus for a minute. He knew no sin. He was perfect, did no sin, no transgression of God's law. None of that, no no consciousness, of, his conscience was clear of sin. Everything done. Contrast us, we're imperfect. We're sinners. We've transgressed the law of God. Sin is an interesting word throughout the Bible. It means to transgress or trespass or do something against the truth of God. It means sometimes to leave out what God's told us to do and we're not following what he told us to do. All those things are there. Be outside of the will of God. There's so much about sin in the Bible. We're born in this world with a natural bent towards sin. Jesus became sin for us, not as if he were a sinner, but as if he were all sinners and all sin in this world. He died for us. He was perfect, no sin. We are imperfect, all sinners. And yet Christ took our place. We are unrighteous by natures. He was righteousness personified in every, every way. He took our God forsakenness for us so that we would never have to be forsaken by God again. Herschel H. Hobbs. Susan and I were in uh, San Antonio, Texas at a Southern Baptist convention several years ago. Had the privilege to hear Dr. Hobbs preach. Older man then, way on up in years. Great theologian, man of God. I have his books in my library. Some of you guys probably do too. Great teacher of the word of God. Preaching at First Baptist Church, San Antonio. When I found out he was preaching there, I said, I'm going. I may have to stand in the hall, but I'm going just to hear this man preach. And I went there and and he said that, that day as he was talking about these things. He took God's forsakenness for us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Took our God forsakenness so that we'd never have to be forsaken by God again. Wow, wow. The epitome of forgiveness is for God to take the punishment of sin for us and then treat us as if we are the righteousness that is his alone. What an amazing thing that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're liberated to live in the truth, the righteousness of God. Not liberated to live on in sin and rebellion. I'll do it my way. No, you won't. Remember that song that came out several years ago and different singers sang it? I did it my way. That's not a thing to brag about. People say, I have my own way. God has a way. 
We better get in on God's way. I can promise you that. He is the way. The passage in John chapter 8 that kind of pulls all this together for us. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed on him, uh, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. Continuing in your word. You've, cre- you've changed us. We're in Christ. We're in Christ. We're new creatures. You've made us brand new. And then he said, if you really want to be known as a follower of mine, then you continue on in my word, doing what I'm calling you to do. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. These people he were talking to didn't quite understand that. And they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants and never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? I guess they forgot about Egypt in 400 years. But anyway, he said, we, we've not been enslaved. How you, how you, we talking about being free. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. It'll take you down to places you don't want to go, keep you longer than you ought to want to be there. It'll make things out of you you don't want out of yourself. Whenever you say, well, you know, I'm just too tempted and I'm, this looks too good and I'm just, I'm just going away from what God would have me to do. Jesus said, no, that's not what that's about. Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I like that word indeed. That just puts a cap on top of it and says, we're not just talking about being free. We're talking about man really being free, really being free, free from the sin that separates you from God, free to live in Christ, free to know the truth, free to understand life better than anybody else around you understand it who's not a child of God, free to live in the Lord, in Christ. Every day, not just Sunday morning, not just in Sunday school and worship service, but let your life be a worship to God wherever you are. Free. A lifestyle that liberates us. Earlier we said you're not just a, another pretty face in a sea of people. Not just a pretty piece of architecture on a planet Earth. We said it takes all the pieces working together to make us tick like we ought to. And these are pieces that, that make us who we are and make us tick as children of God, as a people of God, as a church of God, Christ has changed us. He's given us a message that motivates us to share with other people that they can have what we have, and we're free to live in that, in the glory of God, without having to worry about all the stuff out there that will destroy, sin destroys, the life of Christ builds up and blesses. Which will it be? We have all those ingredients for our life. And when we say, Lord, is that all in place in my life? If it is, thank God. That makes me tick. That's what keeps me going. That's what makes it go. We're different people among us. Some of you are Seminole fans. Some of you are Gator fans. Some of you might like the Georgia Bulldogs. Some the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. 
Well, there's enemies. Some of you are Republicans. Some of you are Democrats. Some of you are independents. Some of you have all kinds of things. I saw a sign on a car the other day, the Green Party. I don't know what everyone is hearing those things. Some like steak. Some can't stand the thought of it. Some are vegans. (laughs) Some say, yeah, I'm a vegan too. Whatever that deer ate, I'm having it. (laughs) But the thing that unifies us and pulls us together to make us the children of God that we ought to be and the church we ought to be is knowing that Christ has changed us. We have a message that moves us to do what we do. And now we have the presence of Christ in us to live free in the Lord.